0: You guys can open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 to 20 this morning. I'm so thankful to be with you, so thankful to worship with you, and so thankful for the work that God is doing in this church. I'm always reminded it's such a, a miracle for us to meet together, for God to save those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and to bring you here in this moment and desire to speak to you in this moment and to change you in this moment. I wonder if you can remember a time that you met someone who maybe they possessed a power or there was something about them that you just didn't comprehend at first. Maybe this, you know, you met someone who's relatively weak and you shake their hand and they have that death grip, that, that crippling handshake, and you might say, this person is stronger than they appear. You might have met someone and, and say they're smarter than they look. Well, in either case this person has a quality that at first you did not recognize but as time passes you're more and more aware of and you're more and more gripped by Now that familiar feeling that we all have it's the same feeling that the disciples are about to experience in Mark chapter 5 As the disciples stand on a hillside and watch Jesus interact with a demon-possessed man, they're about to be gripped with the greatest power that had ever been put on display on planet Earth. And they're about to see Jesus and comprehend Jesus in a way that up until this point in ministry, even though Jesus had displayed his power, it hadn't gripped the disciples yet. And on this hillside, Jesus would put on the greatest power display of power that scripture records since God had cast out the demonic forces from heaven at the very beginning of his creation. Now God's and Jesus is not putting on this power of display just to show off. Some of us do that, don't we? If we have some sort of strength or something we're good at, we we love to show it off. But Jesus isn't doing that here. Jesus is putting his power on display with great intentionality because he wants to accomplish something in the disciples' lives. And it's the same thing that he wants to accomplish in our hearts this morning. So Jesus is putting his power on display to show us that if we have any chance at possessing the faith that is required to follow him, if we are going to have what it takes to be a Christ follower, then we must be gripped daily with the power of Jesus Christ. Our hearts must come to comprehend as much as we can just how powerful and able Jesus is. Listen, this morning we need exactly what the disciples needed in Mark chapter 5. We need to see the power of Jesus Christ put on display. And it's God's grace in our lives this morning that he has given us his word. And just as the disciples got a front row seat to see Jesus's power put on display, we get a front row seat to see Jesus's power on display. But the question is this, as we see Jesus's power this morning, will your heart be gripped by it? Church, we need this. We need this. We need to be gripped by the power of Jesus. And the reason is this, because you are never going to turn to Jesus if you don't comprehend his power. But when our hearts begin to be gripped by the power of Jesus, we begin to turn to Jesus Think about what happens when anxiety wells up in your soul and you're convinced that Jesus is powerful. Well, when anxiety comes and you're gripped by the power of Jesus, what happens is you, you turn to Jesus and you're compelled to believe that Jesus is not only willing but able to take care of you in the situation you find yourself in. What happens when the conviction and weight of sin is bearing so heavily on your shoulders and you don't feel like you can move, you don't feel like you can breathe, but you look to Jesus and you see the one who is powerful to cast out each and every sin? What happens when you're gripped by the power of Jesus? You turn to him knowing that Jesus has the power to deal with your greatest problems. And so the disciples and us, we must be gripped by the power of Jesus. Of Jesus. And this morning I want to read this whole text together so that we can see the power of Jesus and be gripped by it. Let's read in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. It says, They came to the other side of the sea and to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demon begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. I want you to see the power of Jesus in this text, I want you to be gripped by the power of Jesus. And the first thing I want you to see in this text is that I'll only come to grips when the, with the power of Jesus when I expect the destructive power of the enemy. I'll come to grips with the power of Jesus when I expect the destructive power of the enemy. Now, By this point in Mark chapter 5, where we find ourselves, disciples have seen Jesus' power put on display time and time again, and yet they had not been gripped by it, and they were not convinced of it. At this moment in Mark chapter 5, as they come off of the boat, they are perhaps shaken by the most terrifying event that had ever happened in their lives. See, they boarded a boat with Jesus, and while Jesus was sleeping, a great storm arose. And the wind and the way the wind started blowing, the waves started crashing over the sides of the boat. They were so afraid for their lives that in desperation they cried out to a sleeping Jesus on the boat. Jesus, don't you care about us? Why are you letting us perish? Why are you letting us die? Now we know the story. Jesus arose. And he put on a great display of power. And he commanded the wind and the waves to stop, to be still. Now, what happens next? We're so familiar with this story, but if we really thought about this for the very first time, what happens next should shock us. See, Jesus didn't turn around to the disciples and say, wow, that was a crazy storm. Jesus didn't turn around to the disciples and say, wow, I sure am a deep sleeper, aren't I? That I could sleep through that storm. Instead, what Jesus did, and he says this in Mark chapter 4, verse 40, he says to them, why were you so afraid? Have you still no faith? That seems like a bit of a uncompassionate response, doesn't it? I don't know if you've ever been on a boat that's even, I've been in a canoe that has been rocked by waves of a boat that was trying to go slowly and I cried out in desperation, why are you letting me perish, God? We can understand that the disciples were afraid. And yet Jesus would ask this question because the disciples should have already been gripped by the power of Jesus. They, could have, they should have come to expect that they were with the one who was powerful to deliver them. Yet they did not. And so when Jesus stilled the storm, they responded, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They asked this question, Who is this? Who has this power? Now the answer to that question doesn't come in the form of words. Jesus is going to answer them with a story. Actions speak louder than words, and Jesus cares that they understand. Jesus cares that we understand who exactly he is. Who is this man who has the power and the authority to command wind and waves to obey him? Jesus cares that we know this answer. And so he answers us with a story by his sovereignty immediately as he steps off the boat. Here is a demon possessed man. Here's an opportunity to teach the disciples about his power. So it says in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. It's immediate. Jesus so desires that, that we would learn this lesson, that this, this, this lesson in, in flesh itself runs up to him. Jesus is met, and the disciples are met, by a man running out of the tombs. We're told that this man has an unclean spirit. We learn more about this later in the story, and we read it earlier, but this man is actually possessed by thousands of demons. And as we come to hear more and more about this demon-possessed man, we're increasingly horrified by the way that these unclean spirits, these demons, have destroyed his life. I love what one commentator says. He says the destruction and ruin should be to us one of the most lamentable stories in all of Scripture. This man's life had been completely destroyed because of the demons that had possessed him. He had been brought to absolute ruin by the destructive power of Christ's enemies. So much so that he was, living, he was driven to live among the, the tombs who was banished to the tombs, which sort of functioned as a modern-day graveyard. And what society and culture and everyone around him, there was nobody with him. What they said to him is, you are as good to us as dead. Living among, among the dead, he would be ritually unclean. According to the Levitical law, he'd have no opportunity to move up in society, no opportunity to con- contribute. His life would absolutely be destroyed by the demons that had possessed him. And so listen, if you're an unbeliever here, you need to listen to this carefully. Outside of the protection of Christ, just like this man, you are completely vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. You need to know that the enemies of Christ, the evil forces in this world, are out for your destruction in John eight forty four, Jesus calls the devil a murderer from the beginning. The devil has murderous intent. He aims for the destruction of all people, and yet here is Christ. Christ has come to destroy the works of the devil. This is God's grace to you. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, that Christ has brought you in this moment to see his power, to see that he can deliver you from the destructive forces of his enemy. So listen, would you be convinced? Would you be convinced of the great danger that you are in? The enemies of Christ are out. For you, and there's an open invite for you to be gripped by the power of Jesus. Now, the tombs were acceptable for this man. It was a great place for him because he was an absolute terror to those around him. Verse 3 tells us that he was so set on destruction that no one could deal with him anymore. Look what it says in verse 3 it says, He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, even with a chain. This is the absolute destruction that. The devil and the spiritual forces of evil had wrought on this man. Nobody could bind him, not for any length of time, not with any type of material, even chains. They tried, but look what it says in verse four, for he often had been bound with shackles and chains, the strongest materials they could find to bind him, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength To subdue him. Church, sometimes when we read the Bible, when we've read stories a lot, it kind of grows dull on us for a moment. Can we put our like seven-year-old imagination caps on for a moment and think about what's happening in this story? This man has so much power that they are binding him with shackles and chain and he is breaking them apart. Nothing could work. And at this point in time, it seems like he's a hopeless case. Even Mark admits no one had the strength to subdue him. Now, not only was he a terror to those around him, he was also destroying himself. This is the destructive power of the enemy. Not only does he want to uh, terrorize those people around his targets, he also wants to terrorize his targets. Look what it says in verse five. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. The evil, the spiritual forces of evil were out for this man's destruction. Now let's stop here for a moment. At this point in the story, the feeling that we should have as we see the destruction that has been brought to this man's life is the feeling that we would have if we just saw a horrific car accident This is a picture of absolute destruction, and this is the picture of absolute destruction that we should come to expect from the enemies of Christ. In fact, this is what we must come to understand if we are to be gripped by the power of Christ. You see, if you don't understand the the power of the spiritual forces of evil that are out for your destruction, you will not be compelled to turn to Jesus Christ for deliverance. And so what Jesus wants to do in this moment for us right here is he wants us to first come to grips with the power of his enemies. To first come to grips with the danger that you are in because you will not run to the safety of Christ's arms until you see the danger that you are in. Every time we get a glimpse of the workings of Christ's enemies, we get a glimpse of destruction. We go back to the garden and we see Satan successfully tempting Adam and Eve to disobey God, to destroy their relationship with God. 1 Peter 5.8 says your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. All throughout Scripture, we could walk through verse by verse. Satan shows up and his aim is destruction. And so let me ask you this, church, have you come to expect the destructive power of the enemy? The reality is, the answer for most of us is no. Instead, it's likely that we don't expect anything from Satan. When was the last time that you really thought about the potential danger you are in and the ways that Satan and his evil minions may be tempting you to evil and leading you to destruction? See, here, scripture tells us that Satan is prowling around like a lion, that in this moment, you are being hunted your commitment to Christ, the sniper scope is on you. Satan is out for your destruction. And yet many of us are walking around as though there's no danger at all. And so scripture says, here's this prowling lion who is out for your destruction, and many of us are going about our day as though there's no lion at all. And this is the way that Satan would have it, isn't it? See, Jesus is teaching us here with the way that evil works in our lives. Christ's enemies do not like to be expected. They like to work in your life day by day, moment by moment, little act of evil by little act of evil until your life is completely destroyed. Notice that the text says, this man could not be bound anymore. That means that this was a progressive thing, wasn't it? There was a time where this man could live among society. There was a time where this man could be bound, but sin had been increasingly, day after day, taking more and more more a hold of his heart so that it could bring him to this point of destruction. He was uncontrollable when at one point he was controllable. He was unbindable when at one point he was able to be bound, and Satan had brought him day after day to a point where he there was nothing that could be done for him. Nobody had the strength to subdue him. Church, this is the way that evil works in our life. We're not often presented, like one day we wake up and there's this opportunity for this absolutely life-destroying sin that we could participate in. That's not the way that Satan works. Satan knows that if he were to present you a, tempta- a life-destroying temptation like that on a good day, then you'd have the strength to say no. Instead, the way that Satan often works is he presents a small sin. Maybe it's a lustful look. Maybe it's a private conversation. Maybe it's a desire of the heart that is left unchecked that leads to a more destructive action. Maybe it's pornography or an inappropriate meeting. And day by day, you are led down the path of destruction until Satan has you at a point where you are so weak that he is able to take everything from you. Church, this is the way that the enemies of Christ work. They are out for your destruction. And so it's necessary that even in this moment that we ask God by the power of his Holy Spirit to show us what foothold Satan might have. You know what even happens often for me in moments like this is that the Spirit's working right now. That even right now, maybe there's this internal struggle that you know what Satan is up to. You know what needs to what you need to get rid of in your life. You know what Satan is using to lead you down this path of destruction. And the grace of God is that he has brought us to this text at this moment to show us that not only do the enemies of Christ have destructive power, but that we stand before the one who has delivering power. I want you to see in the second point that I'll be gripped with the power of Jesus when I Experience the delivering power of the Savior, and so first we must expect the destructive power of the enemies. But what Jesus, Jesus doesn't want us to stop there, He doesn't want to leave us in fear. He brings us to a point where we experience the delivering power of the Savior. And so here's this man destroyed by the power of Christ's enemies, but he stands before the one who is able to deliver. Church, praise God that this morning we are in the presence of the one who is able to deliver. What burden did you walk in with bearing on your shoulders? What sin do you feel like is unforgivable? Here is the one, the Savior, who is able to deliver. I want you to see it. Look at verse six. In verse six, we take our eyes off of the destruction and center them on the one who is able to deliver. And look what it says. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Marcus set the stage for the destructive power, and now the delivering power can be displayed with in so many in such a greater magnified way. And we can tell as we read this verse that when the man comes and falls down before him, that we know exactly what the demons think about the power of Christ. See, even though we might not be gripped by the power of Christ, even though we may not comprehend the power of Christ, before the battle even begins, the demons do. And so this demon comes running to Jesus, falls on his knees, and in verse 6, seven, cries out with a loud voice saying, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. See, these initial words show us who has the ultimate power. In an instant, this man who is unbindable, who is breaking chains, who nobody in the world has the strength to subdue, is subdued at the feet of Of Jesus, begging for his life, submitting to him. Why do the demons do this? Well, because they know who Jesus is. And so they correctly call him in verse 7. They call him the Son of the Most High God. They know that Jesus has unique and universal power, that there is no power. That a man possesses, like the power of the Son of the Most High God. They understand that there's no power so great as Jesus because there's no power above Jesus. Jesus has ultimate power. And so notice that the demons also know exactly what's about to happen. And so they beg, they beg for their lives. They say, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The demons understood where they stood in, relationship, in, in relation to Christ. They understood that, that Jesus' power was not only superior to them, but it was also hostile to them. Not only were they outpowered, but this power of Christ was against them. See, outside of Christ, this is your greatest problem as well. See, sin is such a great problem because if you're not gripped by the power of Christ, you're hostile to it. If you are not a friend of Christ, you are an enemy of Christ. There is no neutral ground here. This is why outside of Christ, in our sin, we are so deserving of condemnation because it's not just that we're indifferent to Christ's power. If you're not a believer, if you haven't been gripped by the power of Jesus, you're not just indifferent to Christ's power. What scripture says is that you're actually an enemy of Christ, that you have lived your life in hostility to Jesus' work. And this power that as a believer you get to experience that delivers is actually a destructive power for you. It's a condemning power. Now here's my question. If the demons know the superior and hostile power of Jesus towards them, why do they come running towards Jesus? Isn't this an interesting question? I mean, you don't need to know much about martial arts, to know that if, if say like a 300-pound man came in this building right now and was hostile towards us and angry and he's, you know, starting to fight people. Well, the greatest martial art that you can have in that time is the martial art of running away. Sometimes the best thing you can do is if you don't think you're going to be able to stand up to someone's strength, just run faster than them. We've all learned that as, as the way to uh, escape a bear, right? You don't have to run faster than the bear. You just have to run faster than the person you brought with, with you. And so, why do the demons, if they know Jesus' power, why do they come running towards him? Why don't they go running away from him? Because the, the demons know his intent, too. Not only do they know his power, they know what he's after. They knew that Jesus intended to deliver the man. And the demons know, knew that they were powerless against Jesus' intentions to deliver those that he came to deliver. Look what it says in verse 8. For he was saying to them, to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. See what the demons say, demons say in verse 7 is in response to the fact that they had known that Jesus was coming to deliver the man from their destructive power. And so their fear and respect of Jesus' power was present because they knew the direction of his power, that he was there for the man. It is a power that Jesus comes with to deliver his children from the grips of evil. See, This is the power that we need to be gripped by this morning, that Jesus' power, he's not just, just powerful. His power has intention, and his intention is to deliver all of his children from the grips of evil. See, if you're a child of God here, There's so much opportunity to rejoice, for your heart to praise and exalt God because the highest power of the universe is not coming to condemn the children of God. The greatest power in the universe is coming to deliver the children of God. This is Jesus's mission. He comes with great power to deliver his children from the grips of evil where demons tremble and fear, the children of God find comfort and rejoicing because Jesus came for you to deliver you from the grips of evil. And so let me ask you this question. On that final day when Jesus comes finally and forever to deliver all of his children from the grips of evil, what will your reaction be? As a child of God, will you rejoice in the experience of the delivering power of Jesus' salvation, or as an enemy of Christ, will you fear and tremble as the demons did, knowing you'll experience the condemning power of his justice? I like to illustrate it like this. If, If a house were being robbed, and the robber was still inside, and you were in there with your family, and the cops were to show up, you hear the sirens blaring, and they show up in front. There's two very different reactions in that house, isn't there? There's reactions of the, of the family who are being delivered. It's a sigh of relief. Here are the ones who have the power to deliver us from this great evil, but then there's the reaction of the criminals. It's great fear. It's great panic. Knowing that the power that has come to deliver those people has come, is about to come down on your crime. The question for us is, what's going to make the difference on that final day when Jesus returns to display his power, whether to condemn in judgment or deliver in salvation, and the difference is this, is faith. See, it's only faith that will allow you to experience the delivering power of Jesus. And if so, if so if you're here and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, you need to understand that there's a day coming that it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be any time that Jesus is coming to finish the battle. And he's calling you in this moment to land on your knees, to place your faith in him and trust that he came to deliver you from the grips of the enemy for all of eternity, that his power is so great that he wants to do that for you, not for a day, not for a week, not for a year, for all of eternity. Jesus came to deliver his children. Mark's not done here. Jesus isn't done here. He wants us to find even more comfort. See, by giving us a window into the nature and identity of the unclean spirit's Jesus is showing us not only that he's intent on delivering us by his power, but also that he's able to deliver us from evil. See, it's not as though Jesus came and he's, and he's saying, oh man, I really would love to deliver these people from their, uh, from their enemies. That's not the way that we feel about things like world hunger, where we understand it's a problem, but really uh, we, we can contribute in small ways, but we're powerless to do anything about it in and of ourselves. That's not the, the way that Jesus comes. Jesus comes and he's both willing to deliver his children from their enemies and he is able to do it. And Mark wants us to understand both of these truths. And so in verse 9, he says, he says this, And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, by re- revealing his name, Jesus is showing us exactly what he's up against. The demon's name is Legion, Legion is a Roman word used for an army that contained close to 6,000 men. And so what Jesus is doing is setting up the battle. This isn't one-on-one. This is one verse 6,000. And not only is this 6,000, this is a legion. This is an army. This isn't an unorganized mob. This is a legion of demons, a military unit that is intent on destroying their enemies. This legion is after something so see what's happening. In this text, we keep coming up to the destructive power of the one that Jesus is against. Why is Mark spending so much time showing us the enemy? Why is Mark spending so much time drawing out exactly who this demon is? It's because because of this. If Jesus is able to deliver this man from this situation, if Jesus is able to deliver this man from this legion, from this army of 6,000 demons that is intent on his destruction, how much more is Jesus able to deliver you this morning? The disciples had asked, who is this man? And the answer, he is the man who is able and willing to deliver the most hopeless. In verses 10 to 13, we see the deliverance take place. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, I know we have questions here. Why the pigs? Or some of the men, I can tell, are asking, Where's the bacon? (laughs) And I want to get to those questions, but can we just take a moment to appreciate what's happened here? See, here's the delivering power of Jesus on display. The demons who could not be subdued are subdued. The demons who could not be bound are released. The man who could find no deliverance is delivered. See, we need to find such great comfort here. Jesus is the one who is able to bring healing to the most hopeless. He's able to deliver the destroyed. And if Jesus is able to deliver this man from this hopeless situation, how much more is he able to deliver you? And so let me say it again. Many are here with a great burden of difficult circumstances. You are walking through a trial. It feels like your head is under water. You feel like there's no way to the other side. You feel like you're in a valley of darkness, and yet On great display this morning, the spotlight is on him. Here is your savior. Here is the one who is able to deliver you from evil. The one who, by his power, is able to protect you from harm. Listen, if you're burdened with life, Jesus is present this morning to tell you, come to me. Come to me. I am so able and the only thing that is stopping us is your willingness to come. Lay your burden before me. Think about your sin for a moment. Perhaps there's a sin struggle in your life that you've been battling for years. Over time, you've just become so discouraged. You know it's not easy to fix. It feels like it's rooted so deeply in your heart. You've tried everything. At times, you've, done better but at times you've done worse and you're discouraged and as we see the story of this man that no one had strength to subdue i want you to see your own story that you are never too far from god that you are never too deep in sin to be reached by jesus christ that his arm is extended to all sinners this morning That at the feet of Jesus, there is no sin struggle too deep for deliverance. What a great mercy it is, isn't it? To come to this place where we realize that we're just not able to do it ourselves. That we don't have the strength to deliver ourselves. That nobody has the strength to deliver ourselves. That only Jesus can deliver and he is willing and able. And so church, stop turning to the world to deliver you from your sin. There are many of us who are angry and have turned to the world for help. We've learned things like breathing cues and meditating. And what Jesus wants us to know that even though there may be some good things, there may be some good wisdom in the world, the only thing that can deliver you from your sin is himself, and he is willing and able to do it. Only at the feet of Jesus will you find deliverance. Finally, why the pigs? Well, this brings us to our third point, that if I will be gripped by the power of Jesus, I must embrace the demanding power of the gospel. Now, the first thing I want you to realize is that the moral question of the pigs is not something that's brought up in any of the gospels. The reality is we're not really told exactly why Jesus told or chose the pigs. But based on the lesson that Jesus is teaching, I think we can come to a few answers. The first is that by casting the demons into the pig, Jesus was proving the effectiveness of his deliverance. Here was a visible sign that Jesus was able to deliver this man. It's not just like his problems floated in the thin air. The people that were there visibly saw the demons go from this man into the pigs. They saw the destruction that was being brought on this man be brought to the pigs. And so no one could doubt that this man had truly been delivered. They saw the destruction in the pigs. Second, it would be overwhelmingly clear that the demon's intent was destruction. If by this point in time, you're not convinced that Satan and his evil forces want to destroy you, well, look to the pigs. As soon as they were cast into the pigs, what do the pigs do? They run for the cliff. Suicide. And if Jesus had not delivered this man, they were set to destroy him completely. But thirdly, and what I think is significant to note here, is that the pigs show us that Jesus values our deliverance. Jesus cares to deliver his children so greatly that he will stop at no costs. Think about this for a moment. 2,000 pigs would have represented an enormous livelihood for these people. This was life. This was food. This was money. So to lose these pigs would be a great economic loss. But Jesus is so committed to delivering even the life of one man that he will stop at no cost. See, so great is the value of one human soul that even 2,000 pigs could not compare to it. Even a million pigs could not compare to it. There is nothing that could compare to the value of Jesus saving a human soul. And what Jesus is showing us here, by casting these demons to the pigs, he's showing us the cost of salvation. See, where do we see the cost of salvation most clearly? We see it in the pigs, but we see it even greater somewhere else. See, the cost of salvation is shown to us most clearly in the cross where the perfect Son of God would die to deliver us from our sins. See, if the 2,000 pigs were undeserving, how much more of a tragedy is it that the perfect Son of God was hung on the cross, crucified with criminals? How much greater of a tragedy was it that the Son of God took on the sin of man, though being perfect and blameless, to bear the wrath of God that was to be poured out on our sin? He paid the cost, the greatest cost. See, the experience of salvation Christ offers, we need to recognize the cost. We need to see it in the cross, but we also need to be willing to embrace the demand. We see the cost in the cross, but we recognize that Jesus also demands our life. And so look what he says in verses 14 to 17. It says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. The whole community gathers around to see this amazing display of power. And it's so evident that, that Jesus has worked powerfully because this man is sitting at Jesus' feet in his right mind, and now all the pigs are gone. And so, what should we re- expect their reaction to be? We should expect their reaction to be uh, in awe of how great Jesus' power is. If they valued what Jesus valued, you would expect that they would bow and worship, that many would come to Jesus for deliverance themselves. That they would stay and want to see Jesus continue to deliver them from evil. That's not what happens. Instead, we're told they are afraid. Much of the crowd would have recognized the man, but it's not his restoration that would have made made them afraid. The crowd was afraid of the power of Jesus that would cost them everything. As Jesus looked at the deliverance of one man and saw the cost was 2,000 pigs, they thought about the deliverance of more men and determined that the cost was too great. The demand was too weighty. And Jesus is teaching us that following him comes with a demand, comes with a cost. Now, this is a rebuke to our modern-day Christianity, isn't it? In our day, the call to Christianity is that you don't have to give up much. Say a prayer, walk down the aisle, be a good person, come to church, and it's all good. But Jesus has a whole new definition of what it means to be a Christ follower. See, to follow Christ is to offer your life as a blank check to him. It's to say, Jesus, just as you said that there's no cost too great for my soul, I say to you that there is no cost too great for your call. When you follow Jesus, you say this, Jesus, I will go wherever you call. My life is a blank check to you. As a Christ follower, you now have a new will and a new way. Our lives are completely in the hands of the Lord, given wholly to him. For some of us, we began our walk like this, giving ourselves wholly over to him, saying, God, wherever you would have me, I want to go. I want to serve you in whatever. But then time does that in us. And some of us have taken some of our original commitment back especially in this day and age with a pandemic, maybe before the pandemic, some of you were serving Christ. Some of you were, had built in such healthy routines in your life of reading scripture, being changed by God, praying for God to work in your life and in your church and serving the church and his body of believers. But COVID has changed all that. And where you once were giving yourself to, for the sake of the gospel, now you are you've taken that back. And so ask yourself in this season, how can I recommit to giving myself wholly to Christ, to embrace, embracing the demanding power of the gospel? See, the crowd rejected Jesus because of the demanding power of the gospel. But it's clear that the man who had been delivered, he embraced the cost. And so look at verses 18 and 19. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This is the experience of all who have been delivered from the, from, uh, from the destructive power of Christ's enemies. When Christ delivers you, your desire is to be with him. Your desire is to long to be in his presence. Your desire is to long to be near him. And so there's cause here for a heart check. Christian, how much do you desire to be in the presence of Jesus? Is this something that you are pursuing on a daily basis? Let me ask you this. This morning, did you come here with excitement in your heart to meet with God, knowing that God has promised to meet with his people, knowing that God has promised to speak through his word, did you come here out of routine or did you come here with excitement in your heart because you longed to be in the presence of Jesus and you longed to hear the word of God spoken to your heart to be changed for the glory of Jesus? Do you long for the presence of Jesus? This man understood that to embrace the demanding power of, the serv- of Jesus, not only meant to, be, uh, to long to be in his presence, but also to live in his service. And so... Jesus says to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. See, to be gripped by the power of Jesus is to be caught up in the mission of Jesus. So this man gladly takes up the call. I will go where you call. He's written his life as a blank check to the Lord. In the Gospel of Mark, this man becomes the first Christian missionary. A Gentile saved in front of the disciples, willing to take the gospel call to the Gentile nations. And Mark saves this man, Jesus saves this man, sorry, to graciously answer the disciples' question, who is this man? They asked the question and the answer was unclear to them, but now it has an obvious answer. This is the mighty Son of God who's powerful to deliver and whose power must be grasped. This is the Son of God who is delivering his children from the destructive power of his enemies and calling them to embrace the demanding power of the gospel. And knowing the answer to the question, who is this man? The question for us this morning is, will you be gripped by this power this morning? Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you. We praise you for your power. And we praise you that it's it's not just a power that's out there that we get to visualize and see and experience. God, it is a power that, that you invite us to experience personally. It is a delivering power that you have called all to receive through faith and all to experience on a daily basis as you deliver us from the evil that surrounds us day after day as we walk through the valley of darkness. God, there you are to deliver us. And so, Father, we pray that we would turn to you, that we would lean into you, that even as we worship now, Lord, that this would be an expression of our dependence on you. God, that we want to be near you. Jesus, thank you. I pray this in the name of your son. Amen.